Let's pray before we, before we look at God's word. Father, you are king of kings. We adore you. We adore the, the beauty of your holiness. And Jesus, we recognize you as victorious, the victorious but suffering Savior. And we welcome your presence with us this morning. And Holy Spirit, you are our comforter and truth teller. Teach us how to live with boldness in the kingdom with love for your creation and love for your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we can get this on here. I can't start till the slide appears. Sorry. <laughs> Anybody know any good jokes? <laughs> oh, there we are. Thank you. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning on hope, and we're finishing up in August, uh, summer, uh, into the summer. We will finish it up, uh, living as a people of promise. And we've talked a lot about the, the um, personal hope that, that have gone on and, and how we have this personal hope in, in Christ in spite of circumstances, and now this last month, I just want to look at the broader scope of hope, and that is the, the hope that we have in Christ, and uh, there we go. Um, this morning, we're going to begin, well, last, we started it last week, but continue on. I'm just calling this section Hope Beyond Hope, that goes beyond, and uh, this morning we're going to look at, imagine if there's no evil, imagine there's no evil. Um, Let's see. There we go. Uh, there's a line in the Nicene Creed that says, uh, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. Because of that line in the Nicene Creed, it's like there it is, right? That uh, Christ is judge. And it's because of that line in the Nicene Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, something similar, that hundreds of people have left the church. Uh, have hundreds of people leave Christianity because they say, see, Christ is a judge. This is what we knew all along, that Christianity is, is about condemnation, it's judgmentalism, it's, uh, it can be cruel, and uh, that God is really out to get us. And so all this stuff you Christians talk about, God is love, you're just blowing smoke because it obviously is God is love. I mean, God is, is Christ is a judge. And you may be th sitting there thinking, yeah, you're right, I'm ready to get out of here too. I think I'm going to leave. Uh, this does not sound good, like good news to me either. But people who think this way, people who think, yeah, I'm ready to get out of this because Christ is judged, they've never looked at evil in the eye. Uh, they've never seen the horror that evil can inflict. Uh, they they've never uh, had their future ruined because of something evil that has happened to them or something that evil has done to them. And so those are the people who say, yeah, I can't, I can't deal with this because they've never really actually seen it. I don't know how many of you have seen the uh, Ken Burns documentary, The United States and the Holocaust. I can only take it in small doses, so I've only seen like half of it, uh, part of it. But it's, it's really, uh, it's really sobering. sobering. Uh, Ken Burns confesses that he has a deep love for this country and a deep love for America, but he was a little bit taken aback and shocked in his research about the American role in the Holocaust and other, and other parts of World War II. 
Uh, evidently, he said it wasn't the American soldiers who discovered the concentration camps and discovered what was happening there in the concentration camps, but in 1839, there were sometimes some 3,000 articles written about it, and a lot of Americans took to the streets then, but there were a lot of Americans who thought, or turned a blind eye or thought that was okay, including some very prominent Americans. Uh, for example, Joseph Kennedy, the father of John Kennedy, who was ambassador, ambassador to England. He kind of thought that was okay. And not only that, for me, the worst part is, is apparently the Nazis looked to the Jim Crow South, my part of the country, to, as they were developing their ideology, their theories, and their practices, and they looked to the South, the Jim Crow laws in the South, about how the people there were able to neutralize, lynch, and even subdue African Americans. And they took that as part of their, their, their training as they theorized and as they developed their ideology. And that kind of stuff is really painful. It's painful for me as a Southerner. And by something I knew, but it's still to be reminded of that is painful. But Burns goes on to say, he says, I want to be very clear, though. This is not a German problem. It is not an American problem. It is a human problem. And he, uh, he talks about how the, the, the line of, of good and evil goes through every human heart. And he quotes the, uh, the famous quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Is that how I say that? Did I say that right? Solzhenitsyn. Uh, Solzhenitsyn, those Russian names get me every time. And he writes, the he's a uh, Russian author, he writes, the line between good and evil runs not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. It runs through every single one of us. And so when we look at this and we say God is good, and God saves us so that we can become more like God, if we say God is good and then say that he ignores or he excuses, or he even approves of some of this evil, that is, that is not only just a contradiction, it is actually obscene. To say God is good on the one hand, and on the other hand say God is going, well, you know, it's, it's, um, it's we're going to be, it's okay. I didn't really mean all that when I said about slaughtering the innocents. I didn't really mean that about evil. That's okay. I really don't have anything against it. That would be obscene to describe God that way. So we have to deal with this. Um, John Lennon wrote this, that wonderful song, Imagine. Most of us know the song, have heard it. And it's a beautiful song, paints this very idyllic picture of what the world would be like without conflict, without war, and without all these things. And we look back and we say, yeah, it's very nice. But he never really addresses the, the problem. And he says, imagine, it's easy if you try. Imagine it's not hard to do, but then you look at the song and he doesn't really address anything and you go, no, John, it actually is very hard to do. It actually is not easy to imagine this world. But what he did get right is the role of imagination. What he did get right is that imagination is super important for us to deal as we deal in this midst of the world we live in. Because we need the imagination along with the implementation. That if we really want any real hope in this world right now, we have to deal with the problem of evil. We have to deal with a solution. It is the call of the gospel on the church to implement the victory of God, one on the cross, right now. 
that it's, it's, the, it's the calling of the church to implement the victory through a suffering love. And it requires implementation, but it also requires imagination. And we're going to look at more of the imagination part next week. And we may not get through it all this morning. But we do have to name the powers, first of all. Let me just mention these really quickly. Uh, there's more to evil than meets the eye, okay? Uh, we, think, we talk about this evil force, and I'm not talking about the dark side of, of Star Wars. I'm talking about a real evil force out there. And it is real, and it is true, and we have to be aware of it. And uh, people may look back and go, no, there's really no invisible force out there. There's no really evil thing out there. Well, if we had talked about black holes in the 1800s and the 19th century, people would think we were crazy. But now black holes are a, are a scientific reality. We know they exist. We can't really describe them very well, but we know they exist. Well, I see evil as this spiritual, moral black hole, and it is very, very real. The Bible talks about several. I'm just going to mention some here. We talk about the Satan. Uh, that, is the, that is the name that's given in the Old Testament about this person who is, uh, or, or force, or, or whatever, this, this, uh, this, this dark side that believes it, that it's in the Scripture, but he's not equal with God. He's not an equal opposite of God. But he is this dark figure. He is, he is opposed to creation. He is opposed. He wants to kill creation. He wants to thwart God's plan to redeem creation. And he wants to kill humanity. And his tool is sin. Sin is the rebellion. And the cost of sin is death. And, this, and I think we have this wrong idea in Christian circles, and therefore I think even in our culture, that, that when we sin, God's there with the bolt to strike us down. And it's kind of this arbitrary punishment of sin. That's not how it works. Sin is this natural consequence when we cut ourselves off from the living God. It's like, a, it's like a scuba diver who cuts his own oxygen hose. That's what we're doing when we cut ourselves off the living God. That sin is, is death, and that's what he uses. And Satan's scheme from the very beginning is to bring death to all, bring death to the creation. This is his tool, and bring, great, and bring uh, death to his image bearers, humankind. And he is, uh, he is able to do that by thwarting God's plan and there's two errors that I want to mention that C.S. Lewis mentions about Satan. One is that we take it too seriously. That we have this idea that Satan is God's opposite. He is not. He is not God's opposite. He is powerful, but he is not God's opposite. Okay? And we take it too seriously when every misfortune, every disappointment, everything that's gone wrong in our life, we, we blame it on Satan. And so we look for exorcisms for every single problem. The other problem, the other misconception is that we sneer and giggle at it, that it's not really real. But we have to believe it's real, but he is not God's opposite. He is not all-powerful. The se second thing is idolatry, and that's when we worship something that isn't God. That's when we pledge our allegiance to something else that isn't God. It can be a person, it can be a thing. That we talk about uh, a co-redemptor sometimes. We think about this person, this politician, this, this businessman, this intelligent guy. We think a guy with a, millionaire, with a billionaire these days. We think just because he's a billionaire, he's, he's wise on every single topic. Whether it's Bill Gates or Elon Musk. We just think whatever they say must be true. That's idolatry. When we, add, when we attribute to God, 
We attribute to people these characters of God, these characteristics of God. Or when we claim somebody as a co-redemptor, that somebody is going to save us that's not Jesus. That's, that's idolatry. We, we give them power and prestige and authority that he does or she does not have. This also can apply to businesses, organizations, legislative bodies, government, government bodies. It can apply to churches. Because I think these organizations, whether it's, it's Mars Hills Church or whether it's a Congress or whether it's uh, um, you know, Microsoft or Apple or whatever, when we feel like that these businesses can control everything and do everything, we attribute to them the characteristics of God, that's idolatry. The other definition of se- another naming of the power is the absence of good. This is what Thomas Aquinas says. He said it's just the absence of good. And we sit back there and go, well, that's, there's more to evil than that than just the absence, but think about it. One of the things that can cause a lot of damage in a road is a pothole. And on those paved roads in the for, in, on these forest roads, like at Pinemont, they, they draw white paint around these potholes on those roads, and those because those potholes can be really dangerous, especially on a motorcycle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> or what if you're trying to climb down a ladder into a dark basement and the last rungs are missing. That can be dangerous. When things are gone that should be there, they can be equally dangerous. And the last danger we need to be looking at is dualistic thinking. And dualistic thinking is, is, is just believing in two opposites. That everything is either black or white. You have physical or spiritual. And the two are not together. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to read Romans 8, because Paul brings those two together that we think one is good, one is bad, and we get dualistic thinking when we think we're good, we're all good, they are all bad. And that is simplistic, dualistic thinking. And it leads to, to all kinds of weird thoughts, that we're all good, they're all bad, and therefore the only way to win is to make them all lose. And it leads to some weirdy, th- weird thoughts like, the world would be so much better. I just wish, wishful thinking. I just wish these, weren't, these things didn't exist on the earth. When we say, oh, I wish communism didn't exist, wasn't here. Or the world would be a much better place without capitalism, some people say. The world would be a much better place without terrorists. Or the world would be a much better place without gay or trans people. Or the world would be a much better place without liberals or the world would be a much better place without white nationalists or whatever you want to say whatever your enemy is and you say the world would be so much better if it wasn't for them the line of good and evil runs through every human heart every one of us and we get messed up when we don't recognize that the other group it leads to is the people who say if we just work harder well, these are the activists. If we just work harder, we can solve all the problems. This is the way we solve the problems. And the third group with the, with the dualistic thinking are the ones who say, no, we're just going to sit back, and God will take care of it all. And I'm just going to pray for the rapture to come. And I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to wait and let Jesus take care of it, and then he's going to fix everything and wipe everything out. That is not what God has called us to do. The New Testament knows nothing of that. We are to carry out our commission. To do that, there's bad news and then there's good news. 
And the bad news is that the evil forces are real. And they will oppose us at every turn. Okay? The good news is, is that the evil has been defeated. And I don't think we grasp that enough. We live in paranoia. And so we invent things to try to explain things, conspiracy theories, all sorts of things, because we really don't believe that evil has been defeated. And that's why I still have hope, because I know it has been defeated. Oops. When God comes to deal with evil, that's what Israel has been waiting for. That's what Israel's been hoping for. When God comes and finally deals with evil. And they're all talking about, okay, God's going to come and deal with evil, but what does that look like? That's what the Jews were asking. What does it look like when God's going to intervene and deal with evil? Well, Jesus, thinks he knew, Jesus thought he knew the answer. He said that when God comes to deal with evil it will look like a young Jewish prophet who comes and teaches about a different way to live, of how to have the good life and how to be a good person. And then he makes his way on the way to Jerusalem around the time of Passover. And he feasts with his friends and he confronts the authorities. And he succumbs to prayer and the cruel fate that he is about to face. And they take him and they put him on a cross, which is the symbol of strength, power, authority, and cruelty, and brute force. And he allows the cosmic evil and the political evil to combine and do their worst on Jesus. And they do their worst and they kill the Son of God. But what they don't realize is that evil burned itself out. Evil burned itself out on the cross. Now, like I said last week, Jesus didn't come out of this unscathed. He came out very scathed. And we say, oh, well, Jesus survived it. No, he did not. He did not survive this. What happened was three days later, he was raised from the dead. And that's different. That's how he defeated it. That's how we know the achievement worked. That's how we know God's plan was not thwarted. That evil exhausted itself on Jesus Christ, used its ultimate weapon, death, on the Son of God, and God raised him from the dead. That's the victory. And that's what we implement as Christians. That's what we are called to implement as church. To implement the resurrection life in the midst of all this. The resurrection is the guarantee of God's promises. That that future has broken in to the present. And we can implement the achievement with an anticipation of the future. And that requires imagination and implementation. And we're doing communion this morning, so I'm going to have to skip this next section, and we will come back to it next week. But I do want to, I do want to, um, um, we get to the end here, because this whole idea that we are living between 
cross and resurrection on one end, and we are living on Jesus' return and consummation of the kingdom on this end, and we are here in the middle. We are here in this already but not yet situation. And what do we do? We implement the kingdom. So next week, we're going to look at the imagination of the kingdom. We're going to look at the kingdom and see how that works. So come back next week. And uh, we, this is a very, very important part of this, whole, of this whole hope series of what is it going to look like and what can we live, how can we live like. But I did want to finish off here before we take communion this morning with some risky challenges, what this means for us. And I'm putting it in the first person singular here. A risky challenge. Dare I stand in front of the cross and admit that it was also all done for me? In other words, I'm standing in the cross, in front of the cross, and admitting that and saying the prayer every single day, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. And let that work its humility in me as I stand boldly in the midst of of a broken world dare I stand in front of the cross and admit that it's me I am part of the problem forgive me have mercy on me because I am a sinner dare I take all the meanings that I use to define the word God and redefine those meanings by the man Jesus in other words, I don't know what pictures of God you have from your background, from your childhood, from what people have told you. Are you willing to take all those things you thought about God, all those things you think God is like, and then say, am I ready to redefine them in the man Jesus? Am I ready to take all those definitions, all those meanings, and center them on the man Jesus and say, that defines God. That's who I look to to define God not anybody else not Samson not David not even Abraham but Jesus am I ready to do that and I, it, that sounds like a cliche but give that some thought of how deep that is and how that can rock your world if that's how you view God and finally dare I come to terms with the consequences of what Jesus himself said that the rules of the world behave one way and I must not do it like that. And what I have in mind here is James and John. Do you remember James and John going to Jesus and they want positions of power and authority in the kingdom? You remember that story? And Jesus says, we're not doing it this way. That's how the world does it. We're not going to do it this way. And you remember when Peter took a swing and I'm convinced he took a swing to try to decapitate the, the servant of the high priest when they came to arrest Jesus. And remember, he, he caught his ear instead and cut off his ear. And Jesus healed the, healed the servant and said, Peter, put your sword away. We're not going to do it this way. We're going to do it another way. It's powerful. They are powerful. It is powerful. But we're going to do it with a power that's even bigger, even greater and it's a power of sacrificial love. And that's how he does it. That's how he wins against evil. And that's the promise. We're going to pick that up <clears throat> next week. I promise we won't leave it there. Um, 
So, but I, we are going to invite you to the table this morning. And um, uh, especially with the words from uh, Romans. Romans chapter 8. At the end of the, end of the chapter. This whole chapter is important. For he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. And so I'm going to invite you to the table this morning <clears throat> as we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We remember the victory that he won on the cross. And we symbolically take that victory in when we take communion. We symbolically take the body and the blood of Christ in. And assimilate that victory into our lives. As we live between the cross and the resurrection. And the consummation of the kingdom. That we are declaring we are with you Jesus. We are going to bear the solution for the world and us we are going to reflect that to the creation that we live in. So we're going to do it by intention this morning. It's what we do on the first Sunday. And, and if you're unfamiliar with it, we're just going to ask you to take a piece of bread and, uh, and then dip it in the, in the cup of grape juice and take it here at the front and then return to your seat. You're welcome to come up as the Lord leads. And um, I'm going to pray for the bread and cup when I come down. And then I'm going to ask Bryce and John and Rob if you guys will come and help me up at the communion table. Father, we thank you for this, this bread and this cup that um, symbolizes your death, the price that you paid, the burning out of the evil that's, that's in the world, the victory you have won as demonstrated by the resurrection. So, Father, we take this bread and this cup with faith this morning, trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen.